Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at ren-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. What an awesome, an awesome time for us as a church this morning. Um, if you are, are a part of our volunteer team that's in the room that just uh, helped us over the last day and a half and, and you band and include this, can you just raise your hand for us? Uh, all of you that have been helping, like raise them up high so we can all see. Can we thank these people uh, for their service. I tell you, this, uh, this church planting thing is a team sport, okay? Uh, none of this would, ha- would have happened if it was just me. And so uh, I just want you guys to know I'm so grateful uh, for the team that's been here. Um, Mrs. Nels, can I recognize you real fast? Can you just stand up for us? She's the principal of this school and has just welcomed us so warmly. All right, if you're a teacher at this school, would you mind standing for us just real fast? If you're a teacher or faculty member, staff member, thank you so much this morning. Awesome. Um, my, I have three children that go to this school, and we have just been blown away uh, just by the family that, that is already here at this school, a sense of family. Uh, and we have felt so warmly welcomed just as parents. And then now as a church, uh, they have just flung open the doors for us and embraced us. Um, we got about 30 handwritten notes from uh, the teachers and uh, Ms. Nels and her team just, just welcoming us here. And so it's been such a blessing to be a part of that here this morning. So what an awesome place. This is the first church to, to meet here in this place. So we're, uh, we're, we're, we're breaking this place in as a church, all right? So this is great. Um, I, I want to I give you all this morning just a, a little sense of who we are as a church. And then we're going to look at some scripture together. Um, five years ago, I was um, praying. I was up late one night. I was praying. And I just had a sense in my heart that there was something else and something more that God was calling me to do. I was a worship pastor of a, a church, a, a successful church in Round Rock, Texas. And if you've been to Round Rock, it's hill country. It's beautiful. I've got family there. Uh, just an awesome place. And yet deep inside my heart, I was like, there's something else. This isn't it. And so I began to pray and just pour out my soul. And that night as I was praying and I was, I call it emotional vomiting, where you're just sort of like, you know, like before God, just telling him everything that's going on inside of you. Not that he doesn't already know, but there's something therapeutic about saying that out loud. And so I began to pray. And, and then at the end of that prayer, I said, Lord, what do I do? And, and this has happened to me just a handful of times in my life where the spirit of God has spoken so clearly, not audibly, but very clearly in my soul, I, I heard him say, plant a church. And I said, what do I call it? Now, that's a silly second question, okay, when God speaks to you. But that was my second question. So I'm just being vulnerable here this morning. And I, I, I very clearly, I sense the Lord say, renaissance. And I said, Lord, what do I begin to pray for now? And what he gave me was a vision of a church that was built on smaller groups, groups that we call house churches that would be multiplying. And as another leader said this week that I heard, he said, loving their way into every dark corner of our city. 
So we want to be a church that's, that's on mission. This gathering is really a place for us to get filled up, to, to get inspired, to be reminded of who God is and what he's done and what he said, to be reminded of the founder, Jesus. And then we leave this place and we go out and we begin to love our way into every dark corner. Right now we have three house churches that meet. Uh, I have one that meets in my house on Wednesday nights. You're coming to my house, right? You're welcome. I'm inviting all of you. You can come. We have uh, the Zach and April Lambert are leading one. Go to that one. We also have one for young adults that's meeting. Uh, so those that maybe um, are younger and maybe you have kids or you don't have kids quite yet, but it's just you're in that church. Awesome group to be a part of. So God's given us a vision to be a multiplying church. And I, I prepared a statement for us this morning that um, just a, a sense of identity for us. And I, I wanna read that statement to you this morning. We are the church. The church is not a building. The church is not a time slot on Sunday morning. The church is God's people who have been reconciled by Jesus for God's glory on God's mission. The church is not an it, it's a we, it's an us. We are the church, the people of God. And so as a church, we can do church in a school and it's cool because we're the church, right? Not the building. We are renaissance. We are a people of renewal. God is renewing us in all of life and we are advocates and ambassadors of his renewal, spreading the message of his son in all the earth. We have a mission statement that we felt like the Lord kind of formed this process and it's this, that we exist to, to glorify God and to make disciples. That's what Jesus said. Remember when he left? Hey, go make disciples. That was his call. Glorify God and make disciples by bringing the gospel, the seed of renewal, every part of our heart, every part means like all of us, all of uh, the, the, every part of our heart, every part of our being, in all of life, in our community, and in all the earth. We want to see his message ring out from us right here in, in good old Richmond, Texas, to the ends of the earth. That's our mission. That's what we're about as a church. And so I'm so excited that you're here. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to jump right into Jesus, okay? We're going to look at uh, uh, an, an, an instance of Jesus speaking, and, and we're, we're launching this series called I am Jesus in his own words. I thought it'd be important for us as we begin this church that we go back to the founder and we're reminded of what he, what he said and what he did. I don't know if, if you guys are hunters, if any of y'all have hunted before. I'm not a huge hunter. I don't want to offend anybody who's like, totally anti-hunting, okay, but I have friends with, with ranches and all that fun stuff, and every now and then they'll let me come along with them, and so I'll go along with them, and uh, I've noticed that there, um, you know, all these rifles have scopes on them, you know, and getting in and out of the vehicle, if you, if you're rough with that rifle and you bump that scope, Right? It doesn't matter how amazing of a shot you are, when you lay that gun out there and you're looking through those crosshairs, you're not going to hit a thing, right? Because that scope is just slightly off. 
See, there's something beautifully recalibrating for us as, as, as the church when we begin to look back at Jesus because, you know, in all of the, the, the church life and things that we've been a part of and, and even all the cultural things that we pick up, our, our scope can get just a little bit off and we need something to, to recalibrate us. And I found that coming back to the words of Jesus are the most beautifully recalibrating things for us as the church. And so that's what we're gonna do. That's what we're gonna start. The first seven weeks of this church plant, we're gonna be doing I Am. We're gonna be looking at the founder, looking at Jesus. I'm so excited about what we're gonna see in this today. So we're gonna start today in John 6. If you have a copy of the scriptures and you wanna start going there, if you have an app on your phone that you read the Bible on, we're cool with that. You can look that up. I'm also gonna have uh, uh, on this screen over here, we're gonna have this up in the same translation that I'm reading, just in case that trips you up. And we're gonna look at this instance of John 6, Jesus, this incredible um, moment in the life of Jesus. I'll tell you this, this is about two years into Jesus' ministry. This is not at the beginning. He's, he's two years in, okay? This is moving along. He only ministered for three years, age 30 to 33, and then he was crucified. So we're, 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 we're well along in Jesus' ministry here. I'm gonna start reading in verse 22. It says, the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded uh, the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, let me give you a little backstory of what's just happened. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. Have you ever seen a, a, like a concert venue that had like more than 5,000 people? Because they, they believe that they would only count uh, the men or the heads of household in this type of, in this time. So when there's 5,000 people, they're saying there's probably 5,000 men that would be, there's more than that that are there. So imagine up to maybe 10,000 people in a field. Uh, the disciples see a boy with a lunch I don't know how that went down, like, hey, kid, give me your food, right? And they, they somehow get the lunch from this kid, and they bring it to Jesus and say, we've got this. And Jesus blesses it, and he breaks it. The disciples distribute it, and literally over 5,000 people eat, and it says they were full, like satisfied, like, oh, I can't eat another thing. And 12 basketfuls were left over, one for every disciple, and so these people, they love Jesus. They're like, this guy just fed us yesterday. It was awesome. They have crossed the sea to find him. And now they found him. And this is where it gets interesting. Jesus answers, truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. That's a key statement. Don't miss the seal of approval. When a king would, would give a letter or he'd, he'd give an edict that would be read to people, he would, he would seal that with like hot wax and a, and, and a ring so people would know this is the real deal. This is the real deal. This is authentic. This came from the king. I see his seal. This hasn't been tampered with. It's not spam, right? This is the real thing. And Jesus is saying this, 
The Father has set his seal of approval on me. Okay, we don't want to miss this. He's claiming to be Messiah here. Okay? Verse 24. What can we do to perform the works of God? Oh, man. This is the Israelites. They know about works. They had the law, 615 laws that they had. They had the temple sacrifice. I mean, they knew about works. And he says, hey, don't work for that food that's gonna, that's gonna, that's gonna perish. Work for the food that leads to eternal life. And they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, works, works. We got that. What do we do? Show us the works. And Jesus, I love how he lures them in and then he just turns it. He, Jesus replied, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he sent. What sign then are you going to do so we may manna in the wilderness just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, I just wanna remind you, he literally fed 5,000 plus people yesterday. What sign will you do to confirm this for us? Am I the only one that I would be like, Jesus would be like, seriously, like yesterday, I just fed all of you. You all ate. Do you, anyone remember that? I took a kid's lunch and fed all of you. And they're like, no, 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 we need a sign. We need a sign. Okay. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. Like we want that. We want that all the time. Verse 35, he says, this is the I am statement. I am the bread of life. Jesus told them, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me that I should lose none of those he's given me, but should raise them up on the last day. Verse 40, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who sees the son and believes in him will have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. I'm gonna read that last verse. Everyone who sees the son and believes in him will have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. When I was uh, a freshman in high school, a ninth grader, I just, obviously, you guys know how awkward junior high is. Anyone remember junior high? Any of you have a junior higher here, right? And you know the awkwardness. The boys start getting man smells. Y'all remember that? We discovered deodorant. Like, it's just a really bad time. We have pictures of ourselves and our hair is terrible and our clothing doesn't quite fit right. It's just like this awkward phase. And just to cap that off, right, I just finished junior high. I'm getting to ninth grade. I go to a brand new school. I 
I barely know a soul and I'm in what I call the ghetto rap phase of my life. I don't know if you all have phases of your life, maybe uh, growing up where it was like a certain kind of music, maybe it was like country music and you had your like tight jeans on and your, your skull can in the back pocket or whatever. Like we had phases of our life marked by different things. And I'll just be honest, I was in the ghetto rap phase of my life, okay? And I had a gold chain on, right? Yeah. I had big, uh, this, was, this was the style at the, at the time. I had big baggy black jeans on. I was like easy E kind of music. Like that's the kind of stuff I was into. I had, a, I had a pinky ring. I found a ring. I don't know where I found this ring. I found a ring maybe in my parents' stash of old jewelry that kind of looked okay and it fit my pinky. And I was like, yeah, come on. I got a pinky ring. And I just remember, that's such an awkward time and all the insecurities inside. Have you ever, you know, you, I mean, you probably felt that way at certain times, but all the insecurities inside are just like all right underneath the surface. And I remember um, I was in chapel, I was, I was at a private school and they had uh, this really, really boring, 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 boring chapel service. And at the end, we would all like, you know, wake up from our slumber. We would lean on the front pew, just trying to stay alive basically during the prayer, okay? I'm leaning forward on the pew and I feel a tug on the side of my baggy black ghetto wrap jeans. And my jeans hit the ground. I mean, like whitey tidies right there in the middle of chapel. I, I, I pull my pants up as fast as I can. And I turn around and I've got my pink, I'm armed with my pinky ring and I'm swinging. And I don't know who's back there yet, but I've already made up my mind. Somebody's going to go down right now. You don't, you don't mess with my pants. Okay. And so I'm turning and I see in right behind me is the biggest dude in my class. His name was Brock Fry. Doesn't that name just sound like a big, a big guy, Brock Fry, okay? He's this big country boy. He's a lineman on the football. This is not going to end well, but you know, you don't mess with my baggy black jeans. And so I am committed and I swing and my little scrawny pinky ring just bounces off of his forehead and he looks at me and he frowns. Like I hurt his feelings. I, don't, I didn't hurt him like physically, like my little fist didn't do anything, but I hurt his feelings. And overnight I became the kid who hit Brock Fry in chapel. I became the cool kid. Like literally I went from knowing no one to that afternoon. They're like, hey, we're having a party at our friend's house. You wanna come? <laughs> Seriously, I'm not even joking. And here's what I thought. I thought, this is it. This is it. This is what I've been wanting. I, I, I wanted the, the, this crowd, this, these cool kids to bring me in, to accept me. Like, this is it. Like, I I'm, I'm, I'm finally made it. And so I started going to the parties and I started doing all that stuff. And then what I found was this, it was never enough. Like the, the hole inside of my heart never got enough. And I'd go to the parties and I'd do all that stuff. And I would think, ugh. I, it's not working. This is not it. So then I thought, oh, no, no, no. It's the girlfriend. The girlfriend's it, right? Once I get the girlfriend, that's it. And so I get the girlfriend. I'm like, ah, that's not it. That's not it. I don't know what it is for you. 
but you probably have an it. Whatever that it is, you think, man, when I get it, man, that's gonna be awesome. Like life is gonna be awesome when that happens. Here's the question I wanna pose to you this, this morning. What do we do with our desires? Because every single human being who's made in the image of God has a big hole inside of them and they're looking for it and they're trying to fill it with something. I don't know what that it is for you, but what do we do with our desires? Jesus speaks to us today about desire. He's talking about bread. He's using an earthly thing. This is what Jesus did. He would use earthly things to talk about heavenly realities. And he's talking about bread. I gave them bread yesterday, but now he's, he's using bread again, but he's using it in a different way and begins to talk about this heavenly bread, this bread of life. And I can just imagine like these people, right? He's been healing their sick. I mean, imagine in a time when there were no, no, no hospitals or, or doctor care and, and you bring your child out or your, your sister or your mom out into this field where this, this Messiah Jesus has been ministering and he heals them. Like blind people get their sight back, right? People that had been uh, bent over get straightened up. I mean, we see these stories over and over again and now he's feeding everybody and they're thinking, this is it. Like we found it. This is the one. Finally, Israel's day has come. This is, this is our time. He's our king. And right at this moment when the crowds are getting so excited about Jesus, this awesome wonder maker, Jesus begins to turn the tables. He begins to shift the conversation to something a little bit deeper than the bread and even a little bit deeper than the healings. He begins to talk about this bread of life. In verse 34, it said this. He talks about the bread of God, right, who comes down from the heaven and gives, is, gives life to the world. And they said, sir, give us this bread always. And he says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Now, you and I use the word life, like we talk about bread of life, and we use that in English, and that word has a lot of meanings. It's like the word love and lots of words that we use. And so we say, um, you know, hey, how's your life? And you might say, oh, I'm fine. And then when you, uh, you know, if your child almost drowns or something, we say, is he alive? And that, those two words have two very different meanings. This is kind of a, a moment in the Greek that we see where the word life has multiple meanings. And the word life that um, would be used for like physical bread would be the word bios. That would have been uh, like biology, physical bread, like bread that makes us healthy and it, it fills our stomachs and it makes our bodies work, right? That would be bios life. But Jesus uses a different word here when he says, I'm the bread of life. In the Greek, it uses the word zoe. You probably know what that means. That, that means life. Like we, we name our, our daughters zoe. It's, and he says to them, I am the bread of zoe. Zoe would be this life full of meaning, this, this life of exhilaration, a life of joy right? The kind of life worth living. Doesn't that just, just saying that out loud sounds wonderful, doesn't it? 
a life worth living, a life that feels like there's some significance, right? There's something meaningful, something deep. It's like you found it. Zoe, bread of life. And here's the first point that I want to make to you if you're taking notes. This is, this is it. Jesus is the bread of that kind of life. A life of deep, rich meaning, a life worth living. It is a satisfying life. It is Zoe. It is joy. It's exhilaration. It's the feeling like your, your, your being resonates of just like, ha, this is what I've been made for kind of life, the bread of Zoe. And here's what I think is so interesting about Jesus is that over and over again, he appeals to people's desire, their hunger for life. In fact, even before Jesus, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 55, it's, it's really kind of a messianic prophecy. And he says this in Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. He says, come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water. And you without silver, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Why do you spend your silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? This call to, to eat, to drink, it's free, it's life, it's for you. Come, and Jesus, if you remember in the, uh, in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, this, this moment, his most iconic sermon where he's laying out everything that he's going to be teaching. And he's, he says this, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Y'all know that one? Blessed are you hunger and thirst for righteousness. But guess what he says at the end of that? You will be filled. You'll be filled. If you remember Jesus with the woman at the well in John 4, right before this passage, he meets his Samaritan woman at the well and they have this interchange where he asks for a drink and he says to her, look, if you knew him who's asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living waters. Meaning you're gonna be, you're gonna be filled. You're, you're not gonna have to come to a well anymore because I'm gonna put a well inside of you. And now we get to this moment in John 6. Again, he's doing the same thing. He's, he's, he's calling their desire for Zoe, for life, for something rich. And he says, look, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. What? No one who, who comes to me will ever be thirsty. That's amazing language from our founder, Jesus, a life of Zoe. I think that's amazing because um, uh, I have Buddhist friends or I've known Buddhist people and Buddhism, the point of Buddhism is this, that you need to escape desire. Desire is the problem. And nirvana is a state that you achieve where you no longer desire anything. And by meditation and this ritual and, and um and chanting, you eventually achieve a state where you don't want anything anymore. It's like, let's just get rid of desire. That's the problem. The idea is that you would get to a state of being inside of you where desire isn't present anymore. I don't need, I don't want, I don't desire anything anymore. Now other religions, and I would even lump some portions of Christianity into this kind of big box is that we're going to get rid of desire by starving it, right? Let's just starve it out. 
pray it away. Let's get rid of desire because that's the problem. Why do you desire so much? You need to starve it. You need to, um, you need to get rid of this desire. But Jesus comes in and he's actually speaking a, a very, very, very different message. It's not escape your desire. It's not starve your desire. Jesus says this, look, look, look. Here's what I came to do. I came to satisfy the desire inside your heart. Do you hear that? You who are thinking like, that's gonna be it. When my family loves me the way that I really need to be loved, that's gonna be it. When my wife thinks of me the way that I really want her to think of me, that's gonna be it. When, when the people at work finally recognize all that I bring to this company, that's gonna be it. When my boss finally promotes me, that's gonna be it. When my child gets over this phase and we can get them thriving again, that's gonna be it. And here's the thing, it never comes. It never comes. It's not there for you. It's not the well. It's not the thing that's gonna fill your being. It just doesn't work. It always eludes us. And you could just say, well, the problem is that I just want too much. (laughs) So I'm gonna start chanting and I'm gonna start meditating and I'm just gonna get rid of desire. Or you could say, you know what? I'm just gonna gonna get this legalist thing. I'm gonna get this law thing and I'm gonna start doing the the, the right things. The problem is that I just, I'm not following the law. And I'm gonna starve that desire. I'm gonna get rid of it. Or we could do what Jesus says. And he could say to us, here's what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to be satisfied. To be satisfied. Zoe. This is the good good news. This is the gospel for you today that Jesus didn't come to kill your desire. He didn't come to make you escape it. He came to fulfill it. Amen. Amen. One of my favorite um, parables of Jesus, yeah, he had such amazing sayings. One of them was a kingdom of heaven is like saying, if you've read the gospels before, he says the kingdom of heaven is like, and kept, keeps using all these word pictures. And one of my favorites is when he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it in his joy, he hid it again. And then he went and he sold all he had so he could buy that field. I've always loved that picture because this picture of finding something of immense worth, this treasure and and like wanting it so bad that you were like, you know, secretly burying it again, going and like liquidating your house and your car and your television and all that stuff and going and saying, I don't just want the treasure, I want the whole field. I'll take the whole enchilada, like I want that this kingdom of heaven. You see, um, Jesus didn't come to be used. Jesus came to be treasured. He didn't come to be used. He came to be treasured. These people, they saw Jesus, this crowd, and they think, "Ah, bread. Bios bread, that's wonderful. I want bios bread. I need bread. I'm hungry today. I would love, where's Jesus? I want to find, that meal yesterday was fantastic. The fish was really good. Like, where is he? Let's go find him. 
right? They're looking for bread. And Jesus calls them out. He says, look, I, I, I know why you're here. You're not here because of the signs. You're not here because you're believing. It's not because faith is growing. You're here because you want bread. You were full yesterday and you liked that feeling. And here's the deal. I don't have any more bread for you. But I have bread for you. I don't have any more bread for you. <laughs> I'm not gonna be your wonder maker meal ticket and just, you know, here's, here's more food and here's, here's a few more dollars and here's a few more this and a few more that. That's not why I came. It's not for bread. I came to give you bread. Zoe, bread of life. He didn't come to be used. He came to be treasured. We have a value here at Renaissance Church and the value that we've, we've said it this way, it's relentless devotion. Relentless devotion. It's, it's like when people get a taste of the real treasure of Jesus and they sell everything and they just give themselves, they dive in full to this Jesus thing, this idea of being relentlessly devoted to him, not because you should, not because uh, that's what good Christians do, but simply because you just want him. You've come to treasure him. And that's my prayer for you. I don't know where you are today that you would begin to treasure Jesus. Because here's the thing. When I found Jesus, I was uh, entering my senior year of high school. So I'd spent three years of going to the parties and doing all the stuff. And I had girlfriends and all that. I mean, it was, in the world's view, it was awesome. It was awesome. It was it. And deep down inside of me, I knew that that's, that wasn't it. And then I heard a man named Dean. I was sitting in a, a small cabin in Colorado. I'd come to a camp because they were gonna have rock climbing. And I thought, that sounds awesome. I'm gonna go climb a mountain and it's gonna be so much fun. And I could come home and tell everybody, I climbed a mountain in Colorado, right? And I just thought that's why I was going. And I get there and I'm sitting Indian style on a floor. This was a primitive camp. You think this feels primitive? Let me tell you, this was primitive. We were sitting on the floor Indian style. His wife was this granola uh, Colorado woman and she was playing that guitar and we were singing these Jesus songs in a circle and, and I experienced something for the first time. It was called the presence of God. Like the very, very real nearness of God. I don't know if you've ever felt that before. Like when you know like, oh, wow, this is real. Like this is for real. This God thing is real. And then I heard Dean sharing about Jesus. And it wasn't like all the sermons I'd heard before. There was passion. There was something real inside of this man, like a fire in his bones. And I thought, this is it. This is it. I gave my life to Jesus. And here's the thing. There've been times where I felt like, oh no, no, that's it and that's it. But I, I'm always reminded of the deep, deep satisfaction that I have inside my being. Like the stuff that I used to want so bad, it doesn't pull at me like it used to, right? It, it doesn't shape me. It doesn't fill me. It doesn't do anything for me because I've found someone who is actually enough, like enough for that big space inside of my being that once it, I finally found someone who actually has the ability to fill 
that space. And here's what I want you to know, that God made that space inside of you so that he could fill it. And here's how he fills it. The work of God is this, that you believe in the one he has sent. It's not working to work, to work, to perform, to work again, and to do some more works. The work is this, stop working, start believing. Start believing. So here's what I wanna call us to this morning. Um, I had a picture in my mind as I was preparing for this of, uh, I don't know if you guys watch Food Network or you, um, if you're a foodie and you go to like nice restaurants, I'm not talking about Applebee's, I'm talking about like something nice, you know? like a, a, a wonderful steak. If you go to like a really expensive steakhouse every now and then, like I've had a, a few moments in my life where I got to go to the steakhouse and like that's amazing. And I don't know what your favorite kind of food is, but let's just say that whatever your favorite kind of food is, the master chef of all master chefs for that kind of food says, hey, I wanna bring you into my house. I'm gonna cook for you. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm coming to that, right? So you go to this guy's house and, and the master chef is there and you walk in and you smell it, right? You walk into the kitchen. It's like the smells are just so good. And, and you get in there and, and he's putting the food on the plate and, and it just looks beautiful, right? The presentation is wonderful. And then he sets it in front of you and then and, and you grab your fork and he's like, no, 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 no. Stop, stop. No. Let me tell you about this food. And he begins to tell you about the food and he tells you about the ingredients of the food. And then he begins to, to educate you on why this spice with this kind of meat and all this kind of stuff, why this creates the most amazing, you know, burst of flavor in your mouth and all that kind of stuff. And then he begins to tell you about how he started cooking and, and how his love for cooking happened. And he just starts talking about it and you're looking at the food. And, and at some point you're gonna get really, really frustrated and you're gonna say, like, like seriously, shut up. I, I need to eat this food, right? Am I right? Here's the thing. Bread was made to be eaten. The bread of life is meant to be brought into your life, not talked about like this, not just getting in a small group and saying, isn't the bread of life so awesome? It's so amazing. That's great. That falls short of bringing Jesus into your life. He is the bread. And how we eat it is this. We believe. We bring it in to our life. Jesus is also the bread that was broken for you. He was beaten. Roman soldiers tied him to a post and they took a cat of nine tails and they whipped him until he was unrecognizable. They beat him. They put a crown of thorns on his head to where he's bleeding down his brow. They crucified him on a cross. They nailed these massive spikes into his hands and into his feet. And all that happened for you. Because you and I have done stuff that's wrong. We've said things, thought things, done things. We've, our attitudes, I mean, just, we're, we're more sinful than we want to realize. And someone had to pay the penalty of that sin for God to be able to wrap his arms around you again. And Jesus did that for you. He did that. That really happened. <laughs> he also rose again three days later so that you could experience Zoe, fullness of life. 
him living inside of you, the one who is enough. And so here's what I wanna call us to today. If you're a believer who's just, the scope of your life has just gotten a little bit off. You've been looking for it again. And I just wanna remind you, whoa, 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 whoa. He's it. He's enough. If you're in this room today and you don't know about Jesus, you're not so sure about him, you're, you're, you're investigating him, you're curious about him, here's what I wanna call you to, to eat the bread of life, to believe in him, to put your faith in him, to, to, to put a stake in the ground this morning that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. I wanna give you that opportunity this morning. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.